Make a move and then she's calling Forest fires, cougars marlin' Take a chance and roll the dice one day If you're a DM player, find you Millennials can join this quest too Expedition, we're gonna find a way I feel like a failure. I really do. But maybe I shouldn't. I mean... It's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. So, why? Why do I start on such a, a bummer note? Such a down, downbeat note? Well... Here's the deal. What's the date today? I think it's the 28th of July. This month was Storytelling Collective Month. If you listened to an earlier episode, I announced with great excitement and optimism about my first ever uh, attempt to write an RPG scenario. I paid my money. I think it was $35. I got my course laid out for me day by day, contributed to by such luminaries as Paul Fricker, um, one of the writers of Pulp Cthulhu and Two-Headed Serpent and so on, and good friends of good friends of Jackson Elias. And it was all going swimmingly up until about day 14, because that's when the real hard work started and that's pretty much when I just basically stopped. Now, have I failed? Uh, I have effectively got three days left to write the rest, well, write pretty much the whole scenario. Uh, the thing was, those four, first 14 days were were really kind of preparation and research and note-taking the actual heavy lifting of writing the scenario itself. That was all happening from about day 15 onwards, which is when I stopped. So, will I finish it? I guess here's what it comes down to. Here's what it boils down to. I certainly won't finish it in the next three days, and there are lots of reasons for that. But mainly, there not being enough time. But actually, there is enough time because it's only 3,500 words. And I can write 3,500 words in three days. They won't be 3,500 good words, but I could write them. That's not the reason. Uh, the reason is, well, the, yeah, life stuff has got in the way. We're, we're, we're about to move into a house. Um, and, uh, boy, that has been a saga. And not stressful because I don't really get stressed out about stuff very well not in a not in a kind of debilitating way but it's been a pain and it's taken up a lot of time and it's been a bit of a mess so I will not finish the course in the time allocated but but there is the structure there in in place for me to finish writing this thing and doing it, do it in a pretty good way. I think the course has been very good. The, the materials are all there. I can return to it when I want. And I suppose, I suppose, there's nothing saying you have to finish it on the thirty first. That's when when you're meant to finish it. But I, but there's nothing to stop me carrying on. Will I return to it? That is probably the bigger question. I feel like I will. But anyway, a lot of stuff's been going on. A lot of stuff's been going on. We're theoretically, well, we have the tickets. We are meant to be flying back to England on the 21st of August. So that's just over three weeks away. Um, the latest news is that Boris is lifting the um, quarantine regulations for travellers from the US so whoopee although coming paying a visit to what my English friends are 
colloquially, colloquially referring to as Plague Island may not be the best thing to do at this present moment in time, but, well, I guess we all make our decisions about what level of risk we're willing to take. Yeah. I'm, I'm walking down... Not Grizzly Peak. I'm, I'm walking down the next... The, the, the next road down is actually called Tunnel Road, and it joins up to Grizzly Peak. So I'm on Tunnel Road now, which is a very... I, you know, it's not very poetic, is it? <laughs> Grizzly Peak, much better name for a road than Tunnel Road. I suppose it says what it... Actually, it doesn't. This is the weird thing. It's called Tunnel Road, but there's no tunnel. <laughs> but there might have been at one point there probably was an old tunnel here but what they did is they then bored a proper tunnel at the base of the hill that goes all the way through this hill and takes you through to the hot side of the east bay we're on the cool side of the east bay as i've said many times before facing facing the bay and the ocean and once you go over the hill you're in the inferno because it's 20 degrees hotter and at some point there was probably a tunnel higher up but I don't know when, maybe 30, 40 years ago, they bored this very big set of tunnels all the way through the bottom of the hill, and, and that must have been quite a task. There was once a horrible, terrible accident in one of those tunnels involving a um, uh, a, a petrol tanker, you know, a whatever, truck. Uh, yeah, don't even, not even, doesn't bear thinking about. Anyway... What have I been thinking about and what is this episode about? Well, there's going to be a bunch of call-ins, but I also wanted to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about... about um, uh, I want to talk about Dying Earth, DCC Dying Earth, the Kickstarter which has just finished. I want to talk about Jack Vance. I want to talk about, um, about Clark Ashton Smith. And I want to talk about Tears for Fears. Yeah, that's right. Tears for Fears, the 80s synth pop band from the UK. Why? Oh, well, you'll have to wait and hear why. But, <clears throat> yeah, let's talk about DCC Dying Earth. I, I, um, I went all in. I went all in. I've backed it. Um, I'm... Now I'm going to have to wait, I think, a year and a half to get it. But I was pretty excited when I saw the content of this Kickstarter. I only have the the free quick start rules to Dungeon Crawl Classics, but I've been playing Mutant Crawl Classics quite a bit, and we're actually playing a game of it, you know, running a game of it right now. So, And I think the rules are pretty much the same, more or less. It's, it's, it's sort of more or less the same structure. It's a... It's a um, OGL sort of D and D three point five based game with um, the usual stats and the three saving throws and D twenty and so on. But of course, DCC and MCC then then amp it up and they they turn it all up to eleven. Of course, because well, they have the 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 strange dice. The the you know the um, you know your your dice get bigger as you get better <laughs> which is which is a nice idea and of course they introduced the idea of the of the funnel which i've talked about before and we 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 can have our different opinions about funnels but it was an inventive idea but um yeah i i am a big fan of jack vance um i i only really you know of course you, you've heard about if you've played dnd you know the name you've known it probably for 40 years if you've been alive long enough to have a memory going back that far but but um i'd only become aware of his work two or three years ago and i really i i think he's an amazing writer i think he is a fabulous writer whose work probably isn't well known enough um technically his writing is brilliant he has an amazing vocabulary I think he does come up with a lot of neologisms, um, completely invented words. Although it's hard to tell because some of his words, some of the words he uses, are just really obscure. But 
chosen very carefully to describe exactly what he's trying to describe. And um, so, yeah, on a technical level, the writing is great. It's, it's, it's very enjoyable to read as well, which is important. It's not just fancy word smithing. Um, the characters are great. They're very original and very, uh, very individualistic and and very flawed. There's no real heroes. It seems just, just um, selfish, messed up people doing things for their own benefit. Um, which which is nice because it's very different from a lot of other fantasy, where you have these clear archetypes. You know, Kugel the clever, for instance, is. Is a is an amazing character, uh, and I highly recommend highly recommend um, picking up um, Eyes of the Overworld, which I've just finished reading, stroke listening to as an audiobook. Um, a great set of vignettes and stories. It's, it is essentially one story, but it's not. It's actually broken up into chapters, each of which is it's kind of like a I don't know what the um, uh, what the correct term for this is, but it's like a picaresque odyssey, a series of um, scenes from from a from a saga, and and Kugel, Kugel himself. That guy got really close to me as he was driving, bastard. Um, <laughs> sorry, and um, yeah, Kugel is a character. Um, you could argue that he is almost like the definition of a chaotic neutral um possibly even chaotic evil character but he is ostensibly the hero and you do root for him even though he does lots and lots of really terrible things in the course of his of his uh, adventure but he's doing it in the context of a world where everyone is terrible and everyone is incredibly selfish and no one really does anything for anything but personal gain. Um, and, and, it's, and it's fun. It's fun reading that kind of a story. Um, they're obviously quite satirical. The, the Dying Earth itself, the, the, the other collection of his work, which again is a, a sort of a series of short stories with, with repeat characters. And I can't remember it quite as well because I read it much longer ago um, that that is um, it's, it's set in the same setting it's, it's, fu- it's a future regressed earth where magic exists which I would presume is going to be very much the core setting of the dying earth box set that I've backed and I think I can get behind this I think I can definitely get behind this I'm not I have more or less turned my back on classic fantasy. I will one day figure out the reason why, but I'm more or less only playing... um, I'd say 90% of my games are 20th century uh, set, and 10% of them are future. (laughs) I, I, I seem to have rejected the distant past or the imagined distant past and but I think I can get behind the dying earth because whilst technology doesn't really appear in it per se I think it has this it has this sense of science fiction about it it has a sense of a of almost like a manufactured world that that these flawed humans are trying to navigate. And you can more or less throw anything you want into it. It might work better as an MCC setting, I don't know, a Mutant Crawl classic setting, um, where the monsters are all just mutations. But, you know, they chose DCC. It's a a more popular game. So I, I, I just wonder whether I'll even need to buy the DCC core book, whether the starter... Uh, you know, the free starter book, the setting book, and just knowing how MCC works will be enough. I suspect I will have to get it. And and that's fine. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely book, the DCC book. Um, but I won't be getting it for a while. But, so, yeah. Now, Vance leads on to Clark Ashton Smith. And 
yeah, I, I've been delving again into my Appendix N, not Appendix N reading list. Uh, as Barney and I discussed many moons ago, uh, Clark Ashton Smith is probably the biggest omission from Gygax's Appendix N list. It, it actually, the more I read of his stuff, the more amazed I am that that he's not on it. It, it's it's like I don't know. I mean, I can't believe that Gygax wasn't aware of Clark Ashton Smith. Um, I can't believe he hadn't read any. Clark Ashton Smith was a big name back then. Or, well, maybe not in the 70s, but he was a big name around the time that he was writing and his work would have been would have been available. And uh, maybe because he's such a dilettante might be the right word for it. I'm going to be walking steeply uphill now, so I might get out of breath. But Clark Ashton Smith writes, he just skips from genre to genre. He's uh, just at home in modern detective setting as future sci-fi setting as classic fantasy setting. And I don't think he really cares too much. He created, I think, as vivid an alternate world in Zothique as Vance did with the Dying Earth books or as Tolkien did with Middle Earth. Um, the Zothique stories are, are really compelling. And again, he's a great author. Technically, he's an excellent writer. And then imagine my surprise. Imagine my surprise. I think I might have to stop. This hill is very steep. And you, you don't want to hear me. You don't want to hear the heavy breathing. You don't. You don't. Okay, I'll back in a sec. Okay, it's levelled out a bit. I'm still going to be heavy breathing, but it would have been impossible before. So imagine my surprise when listening to, I think it was the second or third last short story in this epic collection from CAS, let's call him. Uh, His short stories, at least in audiobook form, are collected into five volumes. The last of which is the last hieroglyph, and the first of which is the end of the story. Now, the end of the story is the masterwork, I think. If you're going to listen or read one collection, that's the one to read. But the last hieroglyph is also pretty interesting. It's not as good. But I got to, like, the third one from the end. Um, I don't know when this story was written, but I imagine it was written sometime in the 40s, possibly. It's called Phoenix. And here's the story. It's about the sun going out. So that's kind of cool. It's like dying Earth, same thing. Far into the future, the sun has run out of fuel. It's gone dark. So a group of astronauts set off in a spaceship called the Phoenix, packed full of nuclear weapons, with which they intend to ignite the sun again. And when they get there, they realise they're not going to have enough power to escape the dormant sun's gravity. So they're just going to have to nosedive into it and set everything off. Now, great story. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Ever seen sunshine? I mean... I liked Sunshine. I didn't know that it had completely ripped off Clark Ashton Smith's story, Phoenix. <laughs> but that, it was like, what the hell? This is, they could at least have given him a nod. I mean, maybe they did and maybe, you know, it just wasn't relevant to most people. So no one talked about it. But yeah, man, Danny Boyle, give kudos to Clark. I suppose he probably, he must have. I mean, no one would make a film like that. Clearly, clearly a version of a story written by someone and not at least acknowledge it, whether publicly or privately, but either way. And the reason that got me thinking is that I've been listening to a podcast. Surprise, surprise. I I mean, one of my 
phases, let's say, one of my phases of not really listening to gaming podcasts so much as I, you know, I'm listening to this, to the audiobooks and I'm listening to what I call my, <laughs> my proper podcasts. Dear gamers, I love what you do. I, I love what we do, but we are, we are amateurs. <laughs> And we have very niche, small audiences who we love dearly and who I hope love us dearly. But there is a whole other ecosystem of podcasts out there, which, you know, they actually have money spent on them. (laughs) They have actors. I mean, one of the ones I listened to has got Helena fucking Bollum Carter in it. Um, It's called Cautionary Tales. And I only came across that, actually, via... Um, via a gaming podcast, because Tim Harford, who writes Cautionary Tales and presents it, he's kind of into D&D, and he did an episode about um, about the Charles... Well, the, the egg, you know, the kid, the, uh, the steam tunnel kid, and the whole story around that. Uh, about, you know, his whole podcast is about how we get things wrong. Anyway, it wasn't about this. That's not the podcast I'm talking about. The podcast... I want to talk about is is a really good podcast if you're into music this is a very salutary podcast to subscribe to and listen to it's called your favorite band sucks and it's very funny it's two guys who have been involved in the music industry explaining in very precise ways why your favorite band sucks and they start episode one is the beatles <laughs> and they go on from there But the one thing that they talk about a lot, which I think is really an interesting idea to think about, is is how a lot of popular bands shamelessly rip off other music to to a a degree that is almost criminal. And in fact, is sometimes criminal because they get sued and end up having to pay lots of money. There are so many examples of it. I mean, it, I find it kind of hilarious that the Verve got sued by by the Rolling Stones, or at least by Andrew Luke, more, whatever his name is, um, for Bittersweet Symphony. Um, because the Stones were essentially just ripping off, you know, blues music <laughs> and repackaging it and selling it back to America so there's a kind of irony there but the, the one that he called out which I just I, I didn't actually know the song that I, I'd heard of the song that had been ripped off but I'd never listened to it so Mad World Tears for Fears go and listen to Mad World by Tears for Fears and then go and listen and then go and listen to Cat Stevens, Matthew and Son, and skip forward to about one minute thirty. And the what's it called? The eight bar? What's it called? I don't know. I don't know music. That bit where you, they in the middle of a song where you play a different melody or a different thing. Anyway, whatever that's called. TJ, you can tell me what that is. That bit there, that is the whole of Mad World. I mean, I mean, almost note for note. And, you know, Mad World made Tears for Fears a lot of money. I am amazed that Cat Stevens didn't sue, sue them. Maybe he was, he'd gone all Yusuf Islam at that point. Because I guess it was, what, 80, 84 maybe? 85? Um, but yeah... That, so I think I think I think there there is something to be learned from that, or not something to learn, something to be pondered. When, when you're trying to come up with something, it's impossible not to be influenced by a load of other things. But if you try and pass something off as your own that is clearly taken from someone else, I think that is the line that we should not step over in whatever we do. Um, and maybe I've veered close to that line, but you know what? You know, n- not in a way that's in any way making me any money or anything. But but even in the games that we run, I I think there's this natural tendency to absorb all of your 
um, all of your inspiration and references and, and, and bring them to the table in some way. And I don't know what I'm arguing here. I'm not saying that we need to, need to you know, acknowledge all our sources and, 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 and give a kind of a, you know, shout out at the end of the gaming session. But I think it's important not to just copy stuff, but to re, reinterpret it in some way. So the Ghost Jackal Kill game that I'm running now, I've essentially taken a very flimsy, again, flimsy three, four page White Dwarf scenario. And I've kind of grafted on loads of stuff to it which which i am being very deliberate in sort of referencing in the game and and it's making it more enjoyable for me so i think i said before i'm bringing in all this film noir stuff so all these characters from from um you know the maltese falcon and the thin man and um the, the what i'm sort of referencing right now which I don't know if my players... I'm sure that they're sort of sensing it, but... And I probably did. No, in fact, I did share some... I, that, that incredibly creepy scene from Mulholland Drive where the cowboy uh, appears, this sort of demonic cowboy appears in this, in this corral and says to the main character, you know, if, if you're good, you'll see me one more time. And if you're not good, you'll see me twice more. Which is, I, I don't know why, but that is one of the scariest things I've, I've ever had to contemplate. Like, uh, as a line of dialogue, it, it just, it, it's, there's something about it. It's like, I mean, the, th- the implied threat there is amazing, considering how banal it is what he's saying. You'll just see me. But, yeah. It's kind of a bit like the empty man. On the third night, he touches you so yeah tears for fears fuck you (laughs) i used to like that song weirdly when i uh, weirdly we we, me and my we we were at art school with roland orzabal's wife but that's a tale for another day hi grizzly keeper it's barney I'm going anchor message this time because I want to try and keep it short. I want to try and keep it short, like my temper. Because, you know, can you hear Can you hear the seething rage in my voice? Which I'd just like to, you know, just re- remind you of the fact that I invented Slapsaw Jam Wagon as a character to defend you against Jason on his podcast. Now, you know, I could I could turn slaps or jam wagon on you. But that that just that to you know that just seems to me completely wrong. So anyway, I'm leaving anchor messages because I want to keep I want to keep it I want to keep it focused and short. So let's cut the bullshit. I'm recording these messages in my half renovated house where we've got new electric cables and new heating and water pipes and I'm recording this specifically in uh, a shoe cupboard that has been or is being converted into a toilet so that's why you have these you have this special acoustic quality to these recordings I'm doing this deliberately because I think there's something about the sound of horror in, in, in the echoes of this tiny chamber. So what am I wound up about this time? What, what, what button have you pressed this time, Andy? Ooh. Well, I just heard your uh, discussion, interview with Scott, and you quoted me about my 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 approach to the horror game and you kind of you you basically forced scott to um on the one hand agree that i was right but then disagree with what i said because he has some other thoughts but the fact of the matter is you misquoted and i suspect 
more fundamentally misunderstood. So this is why I'm tempted to get Slapsaw Jam Wagon going, you know? So in a nutshell, because that's what I'm all about, nutshells, you said that I said that you've got to start with a bang, get right into the thick of it and have no investigation. Cut the investigation out. Now, if you listen to our interview discussion, that's specifically not what I say and not what we talk about. Now, a bit of context here. For these horror games, you that you apparently want us to create some chilling uh, actual play for the listener. So we're not trying to scare ourselves. We're trying to get to an interesting kind of place, a horrified place, but that that generates something horrific or some, something like that to listen to. So we've got the players and the listener. What am I getting at here? I'm getting at the fact that, yes, we want to have an exciting, interesting game, but we also have, want to have something that hooks people in to listening. Now, some kind of slow burn adventure that could be like a melodrama with nothing, no horror for over an hour, to me, doesn't seem to be getting to a horrific place. Now, you've been talking about killing us off within two hours. I can't see how you're going to do that if if you go if you go melodrama slow burn melodrama i just can't see that so i think the thing has to catch people's attention from the get go and what i was trying to say and maybe i didn't say it that clearly we have to check we'd have to we'd have to go back and check it wouldn't we never go back and he never go back um it, what I was trying to say was that I think something needs to happen which which starts the starts this sensitivity to the horror starts that process gets that going starts that's what I mean by starting with a bang and not just oh there's a corpse or something like that start with something active happening and then, then we get into it. You can have loads of investigation afterwards, and I think that's what I said. You can, you can have the investigation afterwards. You can find bodies uh, later on that have died in similar ways or whatever. You know, these are very facile examples. But nevertheless, it comes later. And I'm not talking about revealing everything or any of those kinds of things. I'm talking about starting with some kind of shock and i'm thinking about that as much for the uh, the listener as for the for the players um but if these really are wham bam thank you ma'am adventures again i just can't see how we've got all that time to kill um rather than characters uh, i think i think that's basically the end of my the end of my rant there um you know i'm just trying to say let's have let's try and have a varied uh structure rather than a kind of just linear kind of I can do that too, Barney. Not as well as you, because it's early in the morning. God damn you, Barney. You're right, as usual. I'm wrong, you're right. I am I misunderstood you either accidentally or deliberately. But either way, I apologize for everything in advance and retrospectively. Because, yeah, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely did not represent you properly. 
So I apologise again. Apologise, apologise, apologise. Um, you're right. You're right. You're right. You don't have to. You, you can start with a bang, and then and and then you know, and that's actually a very common structure, isn't it? Starting with a dramatic incident and then pulling back, slowing things down a bit. You know, it's the uh, what is it? The cold open. The, the prologue. I, we just watched a. Well, it, it probably is a. It's it's a cult classic, a new cult classic. Um, it it's um, it's not that new. It's relatively new to me. It, it was only released last year, but it was actually made in two thousand seventeen. And it's this film that people are talking about called The Empty Man, which actually I would recommend highly to anyone. Um, I'll talk about it maybe a bit later on in this episode, but that has that starts with a 20-minute cold open that sort of doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film, um, and it's really good. Um, but, yeah, this idea of... Now, I do have a slight issue. Of course, I always have a slight issue, don't I, Barney? There's no way I can just let you have um, free reign to dismantle me and my arguments. Because here's generally what happens in that start with a bang pullback, is that you start with a bang, you generally are focused on you know like in in dra- dramatic terms it's generally not with the main characters almost invariably a cold open unless it's you know James Bond uh, and that's a slightly different structure or you know Indiana Jones or whatever where where it's it's actually from a different story um so when it's theoretically part of the same story I think it's unusual to have that dramatic bang with the main characters because generally what you do is you kill one of them or you kill all of them. And maybe we can do that. Maybe we can do that. Um, And I'm not denying, I'm not denying that we can't do that, period. But I think the problem is that for, for the characters, if you are immediately exposing the main characters to the peril, to the threat, they're going to know about it straight from, straight off the bat. And I think that makes it harder to then have any kind of discovery or mystery. But, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, I usually am, as, as you delight in pointing out again and again and again. Um, so... Yeah, well, I, I'm willing to give it a go. I, you know, we, we're not there yet, Barney, as you know. We are um, still deep, deep in the desert, deep in the California desert. Um, and I got to say, this Ghost Jackal kill, for me, um, that's the game, the old farts game for the, for the listeners. Um, Ghost Jack and Kill has been one of the most enjoyable scenarios to run. I don't know if it's been one of the most enjoyable ones to play, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been it's been a hoot for me. I think it's been really different. Um, uh, it's it's kind of the- thematically it's 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 based around movie making, which which really is kind of like something that we've we've made up um it's not actually in the in the scenario at all but it's become that i mean the setting california in the 1920s um with with peripheral characters who who are movie stars and producers but but then we've really gone all in on that and uh you know so so the point being that one could run kind of not not like a, an immense amount of more sessions but i'm happy to play that one until it until it breaks really um i guess i guess you guys will have to decide whether that's what you want as well so i don't know when we'll get a chance to do this um horror creation but i still want to do it and i'm still looking forward to it
So I'm just going to wrap up now with a whole bunch of call-ins in response to my episode where TSR sharts the bed. Um, I'm not going to leave much of a response or any response really to any of them because I, th- th- I'm just grateful for everyone that called in. I, I did want to um, say something though to Rob, to Menyon, who, who made a really important point, who makes a really important point later on. Um, so I'll, I'll just give my response at the end, but here's the calls. Hey, Andy, Jason here. I don't have Twitter or Facebook or anything, so I don't know what all was said. Um, My only knowledge of the new TSR thing is your podcast and a little bit of things I've heard here and there on other podcasts or maybe on social, you know, on Discord. But, you you know, it's, it's funny. You would think after the Judges Guild thing, people would realize that the RPG community and the OSR community, for all the people that want to talk about OSR being you know, assholes, the OSR community stood up in block against, you know, in mass against Judges Guild. Why wouldn't you think they would do the same thing here? You know, if, if it's same kind, you know, if the comments are like, like you're saying they are, like I said, I don't know what they are, but I, you know, if you're not going to learn from the mistakes of others, then I don't know what to tell you. It's going to be a painful, painful life. Anyhow, talk to you later. Actually, I will say one other thing. You know, we're all human beings. And regardless of whether I agree with your sexual orientation or not, you're a human being that deserves to have respect and and somebody that has dignity and deserves to be treated with dignity and all that. I'm not saying I don't agree with your sexual orientation, Andy. What I'm saying is that I don't care if somebody agrees with certain aspects of another way somebody lives their life or not. They're still a human being. They have that spark of the divine and they should be treated with respect, right? And, and if you don't believe in a higher power, then, you, you know, either you're a sociopath, I mean, I'd be using that term right, but either you're all for yourself or you still need to have respect for other people to get along in this world. So, you, you know, the, the, the whole putting down groups of people thing, you know, that's so 19th century, the drug into the 20th century. I doubt we'll see it disappear during the 21st century, but it sure be nice to think it would, wouldn't it? Oh, well. Enough of me rambling. Got to go to work. Talk to you later. Hey, Andy. Thanks for the thoughtful words in the podcast and your sharing from your life and experiences. And I, I agree. I mean, when I first saw this TSR thing, I'm like, why do I want to get thrown back? to that time I like the new ideas I love the new perspectives both as regards gender identity and ethnic identity and I don't want to go back to that previous thing and we have so much good work out there by thoughtful authors and writers in our hobby why why take steps back Yo, Andy, dude, sorry if it sounds like a wind tunnel in here, Pacific Northwest and all that, man. Heat wave city, my friend. Anyway, 100% on board with you. Uh, To me, Ernie comes off as one of my least favorite, favorite? Hello, it's my least favorite. Uh, As one of my least favorite types of people, he's the I have a famous daddy, so pay attention to me kind of person, riding his dad's coattails. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just hate that shit, man. He's just a little entitled shit because he grew up with a famous daddy. And luckily from everything I've seen and read, uh, his other siblings have a hell of a lot more sense than he does. Anyway, man, great stuff. Take it easy. Peace out. Hey Andy, this is Manion, also known as Rob. Yeah. Um, thank you for the, uh, the episode on the new TSR very much agree with what you're saying there um and i really don't know the details um obviously if people are being discriminatory or you know worse if they're spreading hate is that worse um yeah i mean that that kind of behavior is uh, pretty much pretty abhorrent um but judging people uh, that we don't know and not 
having the full details is a really dangerous thing. So, yeah, I'm just staying out of that, staying away from the whole thing. Um, with regards to um, making a better world, yeah, who uh, who wouldn't agree with that? But I do kind of disagree with one point. So this might be a little bit pedantic, but uh, I'll disagree on one point. And I know it's probably not a a commonly uh, agreed on thing, but I don't think human rights are quantifiable in that one group has to give up something so another group uh, can also enjoy it. I don't think you need to drop the level to bring uh, other people up. That's not bringing other people up, that's dropping the level. Uh, even if the level is midway between, um, it, I'm a, I'm in a in a union. I'm in a trade union, and we always try to bring people's pay up, uh, not to allow employers to drop it down, and that's what they always try to do. And the trick is to help um, minority oppressed minorities, people who aren't getting paid as much, who aren't being treated equally, to have the same things. So yeah, that's that's what I would say. And adding to that, I think the idea that there's this uh, older, um, straight, white, male group that have to give up something, um, st- stating that as if it, like a, like a fact, um, is something that actually supports um, this, this uh, idea of that group being under attack. Uh, and to me, that's not the case. I don't think any group is going to lose something. We don't need to fall into that kind of old divide and rule. And if we do, then we've not really gained anything. So, yeah, we've got to work. People have to work together. People have to be patient and help each other out. Um, so that's just my thing. Sorry if that's political. Uh, feel free to ignore this. And there was no ep- uh, number one. <laughs> Hi, Andy. This is BJ from the Arcane Alienist podcast. I was just listening to your latest episode on TSR and the the debacle with Ernie Gygax and all of those guys involved with the new, new TSR. And I just wanted to say thank you for your very thoughtful and sincere comments. I'm I'm pretty much in in agreement with you on on your assessment of that situation. It's it's unfortunate to see uh, the name TSR kind of fall apart and collapse like that because it has such a nostalgic meaning for a lot of us who've been gaming for many years. But I do appreciate your comments and um, think you're spot on in your your uh, perspective, perspective on that. So uh, enjoy your show. Thanks again. Hey Andy, Spencer here. And I wasn't going to get myself involved in all this new TSR nonsense. But you know what? I've got the devil in me. And um, I was just, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, you're right. I think Ernie has been accused of saying all kinds of things that he wasn't actually saying. He just wasn't very good at saying it. But the the real problem with the new TSR is them playing this victim card, them pushing that narrative that somehow with the hobby being more inclusive, that old school gamers, namely old white dudes, are no longer feeling welcome in their own hobby. And that somehow they're not being catered for. When the actual truth of the matter is that there's more old school style stuff available today than ever ever has been before now i mean you know you've got new stuff coming out all the time that caters for the old school the 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 amount of stuff is it's just impossible to keep track of really and not only that everything that's gone before is now becoming available in PDF. So the idea that these people aren't being catered for is insane. And, you know, if you're 
a half-decent person, there's no reason why you can't play the game that you want to play with the people you want to play it. And nobody's doing anything to prevent that from happening. Yeah, so thank you all. Um, I'm not going to name check you all. Too many to name check. Um, But uh, particularly wanted to say something about Menion's call, about Rob's call. Because I think uh, I, I totally get your point and I, I'm not sure I 100% agree with it, but I'm definitely going to revise my opinion. I think you're right that in principle, the idea that someone has to lose for someone else to win is is a problem because then it becomes a, it becomes, uh, you know, conf- there's conflict, it's a zero-sum game. And yeah, we should all be... Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of thought that that says that by by bringing up the disadvantaged, we're actually all as a society as a society we're we're all um, going to improve our own existence to some extent. We're creating a better society overall. But I still think there is something to the thought that the possessors of power, the possessors of privilege. The, by its very nature, they if if equality comes into the picture, they can no longer have that power or privilege because it becomes shared and therefore diluted in some way, in, in a good way, spread more evenly. So by by very by its very nature, that means that they will not have the control over the society, their culture, their language. Um, their resources that they would have had before. I, I just think I, I can't see how else equality can be can be achieved. But I'm probably not um, as experienced or smart enough, <laughs> or as smart as you are in these matters. So if if you have more to explain on it, I'd love to hear it. But thanks, anyone. Uh, thanks anyway, uh, everyone. And um, well, see you next time. It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes